Welcome to Stupid Not Stupid. I'm Matt, as always, trapped here in a time loop with Jason, the man I've been set from the future to stop at all costs. <laughs> and yet I feel like we're always coming from the past. <laughs> so before I get around to destroying you for the future good of all mankind, uh, shall we share a libation, Jason? Yes, indeed. So uh, we are once again back to the Buffalo Trace, the bottle that will not die. <laughs> and uh, we've got a, a couple of beers because we are moving from the basement to the garage, so we have to clean out the fridge. So true story, we're true story. we're going through the the remnants of podcasts past to try and clear out the fridge from the remaining parts of six packs that we purchased over the months. I thought we were just traveling back to the past. I, I thought those were the beers that we drank before. <laughs> all of this has been drank before, and right. all this will be drank again. <laughs> so I'm drinking a sweet baby Jesus. And I have, uh, I think, our very last one of the Raging Bitch. Is it, hold on, what's it called again? Flying Dog. Flying Dog Raging Bitch. Yes. There we go. All right. So this is the end. We'll never plug these drinks ever again. No more Buffalo Trace and uh, neither of these beers ever again. On the yes, podcast. and I'm sure that those phrases will never come back to haunt us. <laughs> okay, well, before we uh, kick into this week's episode, uh, shame on us. We have to do another edition of... Matt and Jason are stupid. You suck! All right, I have two for you this week, Jason. I don't think you, do you have any. I've got nothing. You've got none? Okay, well, both of mine are on you. Well, actually, I take that back. One one of mine is on you, and the other one, I think the blame falls 50-50. Okay, let's... So the, the first one that we have is, uh, I'm just going to call him Mr. Noonan, because I don't think we... Uh, <laughs> Frank or Fred. Frank, what, yeah. Frank or Fred from the last episode, <laughs> who, for those of you who didn't catch it, was uh, Amelia Earhart's navigator slash CIA handler uh, that we discussed <laughs> in the last episode. And you referenced an episode of Star Trek uh, during that show, and it, it was it was an episode of was it Voyager? I think it was Voyager. I think it's Voyager. Okay, so th this is going to help here. So it right. was Voyager, and it's where Amelia Earhart and her navigator are found in the Delta Quadrant, far into the future. And you said that her navigator ended up in the food replicator on the Enterprise. You know I don't know anything about Star Trek, and I'm not a Star Trek nerd, <laughs> but I don't think Voyager set on the Enterprise, so it would have been a food replicator on Voyager. <laughs> Fair enough. Now, to that point, though, I, I will dispute that slightly in that I never claimed that that's what happened to the episode. I just said it would have been very funny if he had ended up in the food <laughs> replicator in the Enterprise. Oh, look, I, I just think I caught you in mixing up your fictional spaceships, which is something I never thought. It's something I didn't expect from you, frankly, Jason. Well, uh, and again, in my defense, uh, I actually have not watched much of Voyager at all, and I got that piece of information from an outside source. So it was me going off reservation on somebody else's information. So <laughs> As long as there's someone else to blame. Like, that's that's entirely my point. The, sec the second one's kind of on me, and I'll, I'll give you props for this. For anyone who made it to the end of our episode last week, to the bonus material, there was an extra cool outro song, which was a <laughs> Callahan original cover of Gilligan's Island, uh, which is, a, for me, a worse stupid because it was my idea to throw that song out there. And the song was badass, but the problem is it's been stuck in my head for an entire week now. <laughs> <laughs> and I just keep hum humming it and hearing it uh, wherever I go. So uh, I was stupid for so bringing happy. that up. <laughs> for those of you who don't know Matt and I, uh, which is basically all of you except for <laughs> you know a very small portion of our ten-person listening cast, uh, that actually dates back quite a while. I've I've been sticking that song in your head for years, years. literally years now. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Jason. What are we talking about this week? So I want everybody to take a step back. 
way back <laughs> to the future. <laughs> Think I was about interested how long it was going to take us to get into this topic without making a Back to the Future. Oh reference. yeah, uh, I was going to call it out, but the answer is zero seconds. It's basically impossible. Yeah. Right. So think of all the things that have happened to you in the past that you would like to change or think of all the things that you would like to see in the future that you're probably not going to get around to seeing. We're talking about time travel. Time travel. <laughs> Traveling through time. Yep. So uh, the, the real quandary about time travel is not so much is it possible, you know, it's not if we could do it, it's should we do it, right? Or is it stupid to do it or not stupid right, to do it? That's right, The real question that we're asking. That's here. precisely it. Yeah. Uh, so when we're talking about time travel, generally speaking, I think most people are familiar with the pop culture references, right? We mentioned Back to the Future, but you also made a, a, a Terminator reference at the very beginning of this. Time travel is kind of ubiquitous in fiction popular culture, be it books, be it comics, be it TV or movies. I, I just want to be clear with the with the Terminator reference. I, I have come back in time to destroy you, but I want everyone listening to know I am fully clothed at this moment. So <laughs> I, I, did, I did not appear naked in the parking lot and then just come hunting for Jason. <laughs> I'm still waiting for the person to show up and say, come with me if you want to live, right? <laughs> so uh, the issue with all of these fictional representations of time travel is that they often introduce paradoxes, right? Mm -hmm. For instance, in the Terminator, uh, the, the the robot comes back to kill the mother of the person who leads the revolution against the machines. So the idea is if, if the Terminator is able to kill her, then there will be no leader of this revolution. But does that necessarily mean that the machines win? Does that alter the future? And from a mathematical standpoint, that's kind of ambiguous at best, and we'll get into that later. But the other option is, you know, like back to the future, where people are going into the past and trying to change the current future that they live in. Well, is that possible? And is it something you would actually want to do? And Back to the Future brings up some fairly difficult points. Like, as should well. you make out with your mom? Right. Stupid or not stupid. Right. <laughs> yeah. And in a way, I think Futurama dealt with it in a far more uh, mature <laughs> <laughs> circumstance in that, uh, you know, the lead character, Fry, actually ends up having sex with his grandmother and he becomes his own grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> So these are the kinds of things that we're talking about here. First of all, is this possible? Second of all, is it ethical to do all of this kind of stuff? Mm -hmm. And the third question really is like, even if it's possible, what do you do with the paradoxes that are introduced? So when I was doing the research for this episode, I was trying to settle on a definition for time travel. So I'll throw out the definition that I landed on, which is a combination of a few different things I saw. And I'll see what you think of it, Jason. So for me, time travel is... Anything other than moving forward in time at a rate different than one second per second. So that I, – I like the definition, but it becomes problematic once we get into Einstein's theories of relativity. But again, we'll, we'll get to okay, that. Okay, so that's the baseline. And let's, let's touch on Einstein's theories of relativity. So we have the famous equation E equals MC squared. We don't have to dig into it in its entirety. But uh, let me give you my summary of it, and then you tell me if I'm stupid or wrong, Jason. What we take from E equals MC squared for our purposes in this discussion is time is relative compared to your speed compared to the speed of another object. So the speed that you are moving through time compared to the speed that another object is moving through time. So that's a way of saying that there is no single objective speed to time, but rather we experience time differently based on the speed at which we are moving through it. So uh, it's slightly more complicated than that. <laughs> Shocking. Yeah. So so you're stupid. Yeah. Um, 
so uh, Einstein's first uh, theory of relativity, the special theory of relativity from 1905, basically demonstrated that time and space are related. They're intertwined, right? And it wasn't until you get to the general theory of relativity uh, about a decade later, give or take, because uh, time is relative, um, <laughs> that you start to understand exactly what the nature of that interrelation is. And it's not just speed, but mass also warps space-time. Right. Okay, so we'll we'll get to that, but just for this first piece of it, just with speed before we get to mass. We were talking about science fiction for a minute. This is why in science fiction novels and books, if someone's on a spaceship that's traveling, so think Ender's Game, traveling faster than the speed of light, they age slower than the folks who are not on the spaceship because they're experiencing time at a different rate because they are moving near the speed of light. Right. Okay, so that's the time portion of it. But now when you talk about space-time, right, w which is a different concept. So this is how I wrap my layman's brain around space-time. Jump in here and, and tell me where I get what I get wrong <laughs> on this, Jason. So gravity can bend space-time. So when I was trying to envision this, I pictured space-time as a linear plane moving on a conveyor belt. Everything that exists, it's in its place on its conveyor belt as it moves forward. But based on its mass, it dips that belt. It it can create an impression on the flat plane that we're all moving through. So the larger something is, the greater the impression. It takes longer to travel in a non-straight line, essentially. So the greater the mass, the greater the bend in space-time, the longer it takes to travel on it, creating the perception or at least the relative uh, sense that time has slowed down. Right. If you were traveling along that line, you would not perceive that time had slowed, but it slows in relation to people who are not traveling that line. Mm -hmm. Now, the other, the, the one thing that I want to clarify there is gravity is not a function separate from all of that. It is, that's, the mass causes gravity by bending the space-time. So, what you were talking about is correct in that, you know, the larger the mass, the more the dip in this conveyor belt that's moving. But that's the function of the mass. It's not, it, you know, the, the mass is creating the gravity by bending the space time. Gravity is not a separate function from that. Sure. So th picture the scene uh, in Interstellar where they go to the planet that's so large that it bends space time. I think every hour they spend on the planet is like two years. Yeah, and I think Earth. that actually had to do with the star that the the planet orbited. That it okay. was okay. But, but just, the point was there was yeah. so much mass there that space time was bent. That's right. And so for every minute that they spent there, it was like a year yeah. outside. And we don't of that see this just well. in science fiction. So both the uh, general theory of relativity and the special theory of relativity uh, have been proven we've observed them in nature. So for example, GPS satellites that we have that are outside of the Earth's atmosphere and uh, are not impacted by the mass inside the atmosphere experience time 38 milliseconds differently than they do off the planet. And satellites actually have to actually correct for that. That's exactly time. right. Yeah, which is a, a complete demonstration that these theories are are apparently correct, right? Like this is this is the scientific proof, the observation of natural phenomena that align with the theoretical explanation for it. Now, it becomes a little more problematic when you get into the quantum realm, when you start talking about uh, subatomic particles. And this is, you know, we're, we're kind of getting far afield of, of the topic here, but it becomes important later. This the, the fundamental issue with physics today is that there are two theories. You have quantum and you have basically general relativity. You have the Einstein model and you have the quantum model. And the laws affecting these two models 
are different enough that they're not compatible models, and yet they both explain measurable phenomena. So the chances are that the model is not an accurate representation yet, even though you know they explain two different things that we're capable of observing. Mm-hmm. Overarching goal of physics at the moment is to come up with a unified model that matches both what we see in the quantum realm and what we see at the galactic level that explains everything. And a theory of everything? Basically, yes. And the idiosyncratic differences between these two theories, you know, quantum starts to break down at a certain size level in the same, you know, as it gets larger, in the same way that general relativity starts to break down as you get towards the quantum model. It's that interface that becomes problematic. And it's that reason that we have difficulties really understanding what's going on with the concept of time. So the broader point under underpinning that for our conversation, though, is Stupid or not stupid for this first part, time travel is possible. I'd say definitely not stupid because in terms of relativity, at least, we observe it already. Things experience time differently and they can move from that environment to a different environment, essentially changing that equation of one second per second, which is technically time travel. So in a, in a basic sense, predicated on the physics definition, I would say time travel, not stupid. So this goes back to the very first thing that we were talking about in this podcast, though, right? There's the difference between going back in time and changing a thing as opposed to going forward in time and seeing something. And those are two fundamentally different things. And what you're talking about is being able to go forward in time at a rate faster than other people experience. If you're traveling fast enough and everybody else is traveling slower than you, you will experience time more slowly than they do. And when you come back to their time period, you will have aged at a much slower rate, which is effectively time travel into the future. So I I actually agree with you. I believe time travel is possible, but I believe that you can only technically travel backwards in time unless you're traveling back from the future. So you can remain in a time bubble. Right. You can slow down. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. But wherever we are at this moment, unless we have slowed down either in a time bubble, which we'll talk about, or uh, experience time differently due to relativity, which we've already explained, we're always on the cutting forward edge of time. See, I I would phrase that different. I think that the time bubble that you're referring to is basically – other people's reference to your travel through time seems to be that you have slowed the movement of time while they have not. But that's not to me traveling backwards through time. Unless you accomplished time travel, unless you had a a catalyst, a device here for time travel. So that's the next thing I want to talk about. Right. So you have to have something that makes it possible. So how how could you time travel? So let's start with the two popular science fiction methods for doing this. Uh, number one is uh, black holes. How, how would that work, Jason? So the concept with the black hole is that it creates so much gravity that information theoretically can't escape. I, I, there's actually been some work recently done. I haven't like read up on all of this, but apparently there is uh, – you, you wrote much of it, but right, yeah, you haven't yeah. read up on it. Well, I wrote it in the future and I haven't sent it back <laughs> yeah. yet. Yeah. Um, there's this idea that information might actually be able to escape a gravity well, which I can't quite wrap my head around and I'm not sure that the scientific consensus has agreed with those papers yet. But up to this point, up until very recently, the assumption was that anything that gets caught in a black hole's gravity well, once it passes what's called the event horizon, disappears and it's never coming back out in any way, shape, or form. And that would preclude this concept of time travel. However, the mathematics work out in such a way that basically if you're going fast enough, 
And you stay and, on the edge of the black And you hole. stay just outside of the event horizon. The mathematics work out in such a way that theoretically you could it, – because it warps space-time in such a way, mm-hmm. it, it sort of creates a donut of space-time mm-hmm. yep. that you could actually – go back through time. I, I, I assume that this is what you're referring to. This is often referred to as a wormhole. Yes. Okay. All right. So now take that same concept that we suspect exists in physics so we can observe some sort of natural phenomenon in nature that would create the conditions that would allow time travel to exist. Now ex- extend that physics to a time machine. Right. So let's say we create a machine that's capable of replicating those conditions, uh, but you could control it. So we've talked about space-time as this linear plane Uh, that is on this conveyor belt that's moving forward. What a time machine could do is fold that space-time, and with enough gravity, you fold it to a degree that it actually loops back in on itself, creating the donut that you were talking about. And the concept, theoretically, behind a time machine is you, you, you flip your gravity switch, the donut is formed, and then you jump to the point in the donut, perceivably up to from one second ago to as far back as you could conceivably go. Right. You, you couldn't go forward under this model, but you could go backwards to anywhere. Right. So that's the theory. Now, there are a couple of issues with this. The first one is you're talking about controlling gravity. Well, gravity, as I mentioned earlier, and this is why I brought that up, is a function of mass. So you know the only way that you're going to duplicate that is if you flip your gravity switch, which means that you somehow create a tremendous amount of mass, like star level amount of mass to be able to bend that kind of... It's the mass of seven suns stretched out on an infinite loop. Right. Is the, <laughs> right. Is the mass you would need to impact gravity uh, at that level. Right. So I don't know of any science that allows the creation of that kind of mass. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly no machine that you could do that and survive the process. Like, the planet that you were on would not survive the process. <laughs> this, this is the interesting thing. In all of the uh, in all of the theoretical work on this that I read, the constant problem wasn't, um, you know, the physics or the energy. It was that, yeah, technically all this stuff was possible, but whatever machine you built to do it would be destroyed. <laughs> That's right. Instantaneously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And there's a similar issue with the other time travel, you know, the, this idea of going so fast that your concept of time slows down where everyone else's uh, remains constant. Well, that requires you traveling at the speed of light. But again, going back to the equation equals mc squared, the energy require like if you re- if you move that equation around to try and solve for the speed of light energy yeah. required to move that to move any significant amount of mass uh, like light is this weird con- like it's sort of in between mass and energy it doesn't have mass but it has particle like behaviors but it's that lack of mass that allows it to move as fast as it does well you and i don't have that luxury <laughs> we we have lots of mass and even trying to move a gram of mass to the speed of light requires an unbelievable amount of energy. Again, like sun's worth of energy. So trying trying to come up with the concept of developing a ship that humans could sit in and would be able to withstand the gravitational forces, the energy forces that would be required to move it to that kind of a speed, it would take you galaxies worth of, en- of energy to get a physical thing up to that speed. So the energy requirement to move forward in time, I think, is prohibitive, to say the least. And the mass requirement to move you back in time 
is prohibitive to say the least. Put yourself in this scene scenario, Jason, because you, you can't discount the technology exponent here that, that solves for the equation. No, that's so true. Put yourself back it, to the, the age of exploration, the guys who are hammering together the first ships that crossed the Atlantic and thinking, you know, within my great-great-grandson's lifetime, another ship will land at the moon I'm looking up to and navigating. No, no, no. I totally understand. Uh, and, yeah. you know, I have studied the history of technology uh, at pretty <laughs> deep length. I, and that's one of the, the, the foundational aspects of this is uh, – this is why I'm agnostic as opposed to atheistic about this issue, is you cannot discount what happens in the future. The idea that we don't know how to solve a problem now does not mean that we exactly. will never be able to figure out a problem. And this has always been an argument – you know, it's interesting that I use the atheistic statement there. Because this has always been an issue that I've had with religion or magic or anything else is that those are ways of describing events that you can't explain now. But it doesn't mean that you will never be able to explain them in perpetuity. And so to that point, I agree with you. But like what I am stating is that the problems are significant and seemingly insurmountable, but it doesn't mean that they will always be so. So the concept of time travel being possible, not stupid. <sighs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's very difficult for me to imagine. It's completely stupid given where we are at the moment. But having no idea where humanity ends up, you know, the thousands or millions of years in the future. Yeah, I, I can't say it's impossible. So there's one other issue here or one other uh, avenue of mathematics that I do want to discuss. And this is the idea. There, there are a couple of, of implications of time travel that mathematically become problematic. The first one we mentioned earlier, this idea of the paradox, like if you go back in time and you change something and it changes the future, say you kill your grandmother, then your mother doesn't exist. That means that you don't exist. And yet- And any Polaroids of you will slowly fade away. <laughs> right, right. No, that's, that's the, the cinematic version of the paradox that I talk about. Mathematically, that doesn't work. So there is a lot of theoretical evidence that even if you were able to go back in time, you couldn't alter anything that would change the future. So you would basically just end up in this Groundhog Day loop of doing the same thing over and over and over again, which I'm sure would make TJ very happy. <laughs> I, I knew somewhere in this episode there's going to be a TJ reference. Right. Because it, we're going to get, I guess, to these moral and ethical dilemmas of time travel. But right. then the question becomes, does free will exist in a parallel Right. Well, and see, what I'm saying is TJ was making the claim that at no point do you have any free will because everything is destined to happen. But the mathematics of time travel are different, saying that once it has happened once, once it has occurred, there's no going back and changing it. And, and for, which for is anyone different. who's coming in here kind of uh, mid-anecdote, uh, just hit our free will episode, right. uh, I think, <laughs> maybe four or five back, and you'll understand what we're talking about with TJ and free will here. Right. Uh, so that's the first issue is that even if you could go back in time, you probably wouldn't be able to change events into the future. The other issue that you have from a mathematical standpoint is for going back in time, the concept of a wormhole is that a wormhole is this, this physical construct that exists for an incredibly short period of time right before a, a collapsing star becomes a black hole. And so in order to actually travel through it, you would have to figure out some way to stop the gravitational pull from collapsing the waveform of this wormhole. And that requires some form of a material 
that is an anti-gravity material, right? You have to figure out some way to stop gravity. This is the the Star Trek faster than light. Look, I said I didn't know anything about Star Trek, and, right. and now I'm about to throw some Star Trek nerdiness. <laughs> but I think this is how the warp drive works in Star Trek. It's a, a matter-antimatter engine. Right, right? except that that concept actually... You know, the idea of merging matter and antimatter gives you some form of unlimited amount of energy. That doesn't really that's not God, how I, I matter know Tyler writes in and says something <laughs> like this. <laughs> that that's not how matter and antimatter work, really. And it, it does release a vast amount of energy, but it's an incredibly destructive power. <laughs> so it's not like the kind of thing that you easily harness. What's really interesting about the mathematics that model gravity versus magnetism are fascinating. Magnetism and gravity basically follow the exact same mathematical modeling. It's just that magnetics have a positive and a negative charge, whereas gravity only has a positive. And we've never come up with like anti-gravity gravitons or graviolis or whatever you want to call them, whatever the particle, uh, the, 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 the measurement of gravity is. We don't have a, a, a negative for that. So uh, if you look at you know the electromagnetic uh, concept, the positive and the negative aspect of that are completely inherent. And that's how you get things like you know nuclear explosions or, or nuclear energy, these vast amount, the vast releases of energy. You don't have that same duality in gravity. It only goes one direction as far as we know. So that makes the idea of being able to come up with some technology that's able to hold open a wormhole long enough for something to get through it, aside from all of the energy you need to go the speed of light, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's just it's yet another insurmountable problem from how we understand physics to work today. So I said that there were two issues. There's actually a third issue that I think is kind of the showstopper for going back into the past. And that is mathematically, it's demonstrable that you could not go further into the past than the moment that the technology existed that allowed you to go into the past. So the idea of like going back and killing Hitler is a non-starter because you won't ever like there is no time machine to this day and you won't be able to get any further back into the past than the day that you create the time machine. That's as far back as you could go. First of all, I, I guess I have two things here. Number one is I knew we were going to get to Hitler somewhere. Right, of course. I, I think I have Hitler in my notes. We'll probably get there in the ethics. Oh, I think you have Hitler in all of your notes. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of Hitler references that actually get edited out of this show. <laughs> Jason knows what I'm talking about. Um, but why, why would you not be able to travel back further than the technology exists? That I, I don't see that. Again, it becomes it's this this mathematical issue of paradox reduction or paradox elimination. If paradoxes can't exist, which from a, a a logical perspective they can't. That's the point of a paradox: is it is a, it is a dissonance in logic. The the idea of you being able to go back further than the technology that exists would allow you to do so creates all of these paradoxes. Once the technology exists, then. Uh, there are off-ramps from a mathematical standpoint that you could actually change events in the future. But until that happens, until until the technology is there, you can't go further back. And we, we actually have evidence for this in that, you know, uh, one of the examples I saw was that Bill Gates is the richest man in the world. Well, if you could, if, if you could go back further in time than the invention of a time machine, then you could literally just go back one day over and over and over again and just amass vast amounts of cash and it would make 80 billion dollars or whatever bill gates is worth you know net worth is today look paltry by comparison but we're not seeing that 
and Hitler did exist. And you know, <laughs> horrible things have happened that people could have changed if you could go back through time. You know, Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Like all of the things that are sort of the tropes that you see in science fiction that could have changed clearly have not changed. So it's a it's sort of a general indication that people don't have a time machine yet, or that. They, there is a time machine, and one of two things has happened. The Those in the future have created an ethos or a playbook on how to alter things into the least bad scenario possible, and we exist in that scenario, or the technology has been created, and it's been deemed unethical, and those in the future have chosen not to use it or regulate it to the point where we don't notice it. Well, of course, you know what we're wrestling with now. We're wrestling with a... Counterfactual, counterfactual, it's counterfactual. All right, well, <laughs> I guess that brings us to the next point then, Jason. Yes. We've, we've settled on the fact that the, the math is there, the physics is technically possible. So now the, the next question, uh, counterfactuals aside, is time travel ethical? Is it something that we should do if we could do it? Yes. So now we get in. Yes, we should do it. Or no, no, no. (laughs) Yes, that is the next logical point in this conversation. Yeah, exactly. The stuff that we were just talking about. You know, the the you know, do you kill Hitler? Do you you stop the the Kennedy assassination? Do you stop you know the assassination of? Do you save Neanderthals from dying out? Right, right. Yeah. Do you keep dinosaurs alive? Do you like or there are. The, the corollary to this, of course, is also so the butterfly effect. send Bruce Willis back in time, then attack the asteroid. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Give him plenty of time. We, yeah. you know, it's no, there's no rush, you know. But uh, there's also this corollary, the, the butterfly effect. If you go back into the dinosaur era and you accidentally step on an insect, what are the ramifications of that a million years later, right? Mm-hmm. The unintended consequences of any action that you have are unknowable. Yeah. So the core of what you're saying is that evil and tragedy, they're not anomalies, right? You'd only be changing scenarios and outcomes, not themes. I would, right. When I was actually thinking about this point specifically, I thought about the Rick and Morty snake episode <laughs> and they go back and they change timelines, but everyone they jump into, they're still like a version of Hitler yeah, yeah. <laughs> has developed. Which actually right. is very, uh, that's, that's, uh, the mathematical thing that I was talking about earlier, that you could go back in time and change things, but the outcome still remains the same. A guy named Kip Thorne did a, a lot of work in this. So Kip Thorne worked with Stephen Hawking. Uh, mm-hmm. He was actually – we mentioned the movie Interstellar earlier. He was one of the uh, advisors on that film. and That's kind of why Interstellar is sort of the best pop culture version of like the effects of gravity and black holes mm-hmm. on time. Uh, that you find. But this was uh, – I, I saw an interview with Kip Thorne a long time ago where he was talking about this mathematical implication of eliminating paradoxes. And it's much like this Rick and Morty episode where it doesn't matter what you change in the past. The outcome is basically the same mm-hmm. thing. Uh, and the funny thing about the Rick and Morty episode is that it changes like in all the unimportant ways. But the, <laughs> but the, the serious – like the Hitler might be a snake, but he's still Hitler, right? right. Like it's that, – that was the, the humor. But yeah, exactly. Like from an ethical standpoint, if you can't actually change things and the only possibility is you make them like slightly worse. Okay, so here's here's the other side of that coin then. So you don't know there's a high degree of uncertainty that what you change will generate a more positive outcome for the present slash future. But then you have to ask yourself, all decisions that you make in any timeline have uncertainty. So don't decisions you make on a timeline in the past, if you travel to the past and make a decision that the outcome is uncertain, but you have a higher degree of certainty that it will be a positive outcome based off the context you have from the present, isn't that a 
calculated risk with a higher degree of a positive outcome isn't it worth the risk was that like cosmic counting cards yeah like- <laughs> exactly think about it yeah you, you in a sense yeah you know the count so right. you don't know for sure what will happen but you have a better idea than you and i have about any decision we make right now in the present right I, again though this just gets into an ethical discussion of the nature of humanity right because right. how many people are going to go back in time to do something that uh makes humanity better and how many people are just going to go back in time and make their own lives better all right so so this is this brings up the next question i want to ask yeah. and the next point on the ethics of time travel so if time travel exists in the future or already exists should it be policed should it be regulated and if the consensus among all of us as a, as a civilization is that time travel should not happen, what happens if someone does it anyway? Someone right. does it illegally for a nefarious purpose. Should then we time travel to correct it? Right. I think this was the plot of the movie Time Cops. I, <laughs> which I haven't seen, so I'm not going to apologize for uh, plagiarism. I assure you, you're missing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I have and will have missed nothing. <laughs> So the first question I think is the most interesting one. If you could police it, who polices? Mm-hmm. Who makes those choices, right? right? Uh, and we know for, even f- within a democracy, that's a, that's a consideration of power. And democracies don't always make the correct choice. And they often make choices that benefit the democracy and not necessarily the world at large. And if you're talking about being able to time travel and change world events, you know, just because it was right for America doesn't necessarily mean that it was right for the world. And you know, it's uh, and I'm just assuming that America ends up with the technology. That's not necessarily the case, right? So who makes those decisions, uh, who becomes the authority is really interesting. And then on top of that, if the idea is that you could change events, but there are unintended consequences, how much do you then go back and try and clean up unintended consequences? which was basically the plot of the movie The Butterfly Effect. Mm-hmm. There was this guy who could go back in, in time and sort of alter reality, but every time he did, he just made things worse, mm-hmm. right? So This is like that uh, Stephen King novel, I think it's 1972. I, I can't remember the year that's the title of the novel, but essentially he goes back in time and finds a way to prevent the assassina- assassination of JFK, but JFK goes on to become this like monster right. and right. like creates Kennedy camps and interns like half the country and uh, it becomes this awful, terrible leader and leads to the downfall of America. And it's the, it's the same concept. And then you think about, I mean, Hitler is the scenario we keep going back to, but what if Hitler is the least evil outcome of an inevitable evil scenario. So Hitler was arguably incompetent and a bunch of the terrible decisions that he made led to the allies winning the war. So isn't he the moron we wanted in charge of the inevitable nationalistic and evil regime that was going to arise out of the geopolitical situation at the time? I mean, maybe time travels happened and we arranged it so there was an idiot in charge <laughs> and we could affect it to the degree to do the least possible harm. I'm sorry, I, I blanked out there for a second. We're, we're talking about Hitler, right? Not Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, incompetency with uh, authoritarianism. Um, no, that's that's an interesting point as well, right? Like if, if Hitler had not been insane and had been competent, yeah, I mean, Germany had all the tools to actually win that war. Right. So here, here's the question then. Are we certain that time travel isn't already happening? Do we live in the least bad scenario? Is it occurring and our timeline is being altered to actively improve it? Right. But that would almost warrant a – or almost necessitate like some kind of board of mathematicians or historians or something. Like 
that's not like one person making these decisions. There would have to be tons of work done in studying, like, how do you minimize, like, what is the best, best pathway? How do you minimize the unintended consequences? National, how do you navigate them? The National Academies of Science, Engineering, Mathematics, and Time Travel. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was in grad school, I actually interned at the National Academies. Back, back then, it was just called the National Academies. Now it's the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine. I have watched that group function. And it is very, very impressive what they are able to come up with. But I've watched the sausage being made, and there is zero chance that they could do that in an iterative process that would lead to the best result every time. That I just It's outside of the concept of human nature and human interaction to get groups of people to agree on what the, the best outcome is over and over again. I, I just like I'm willing to concede the idea that time travel might be per might be possible. I am unwilling to concede that, <laughs> that human nature is capable of making those kinds of decisions. So, final word on the ethics of it, then, yeah. Jason. Time travel. Should we do it? Is it stupid to do it? Is it not stupid to do it? We're accepting that it can happen. Should we do it? That's a it's a really thorny question because you look at things like Hitler. And it's hard to argue that if you could have stopped that, you shouldn't. But it's really also impossible to know what the outcomes would be if you were to change history. So you kill a serial killer, but one of his victims was an even bigger serial killer. Uh, sure, or created like the, the hyper thermonuclear weapon that destroys the – like who knows? Or it, yeah. the permutations are unknowable mm -hmm. and are all – as a, as we stated earlier, counterfactual. Which doesn't preclude them. <laughs> right, right, right. But I, if I had to make a call on this, I'd rather deal with the devil you know than the devil you don't. So I would say it's stupid. Oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say not stupid because like I said, it, it's all about calculated risk and you have more information coming from the future than you do right now, the decisions that we make here sitting in this basement. So the other problem, though, with that is what if one of the unintended consequences is that you you end time travel and now you're just stuck with whatever it is that you had? Because physics is constant, because math is the language of the universe, you have to expect that it, you'll find it again, right? Physics isn't going to change. Math isn't going to change. There are universal, concept, there no, are you're universal absolutely concepts right. that you can't impact and change like history, like politics, like – No, no. If you find the – if you find knowledge – it is findable again. Yes. The, but that becomes it becomes a cultural question. Is the culture capable of of replicating what it what it did in the past? And I don't think that that's a guarantee. All right. Well, shocker. We we've disagreed. <laughs> All right, then. So we've said time travel is possible. We disagree on whether it's ethical, but let's just assume that it is possible. It is ethical. You can punch a ticket like Virgin Galactic and hop on and do it. Where would you go, Jason? What's your time travel moment? Well, first of all, you can't punch a ticket on Virgin Galactic yet. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you haven't, you haven't pre-ordered your ticket yet, Jason? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I've, I've got to go back in time and deposit, you know, like 20 bucks in a bank account and <laughs> wait, for wait for the interest to accrue to the, the $240,000 or $50,000 ticket price, whatever it is at this point. Um, where would I go in time? That's fascinating. Uh I honestly haven't put any thought into this. I would probably go to the uh, moment of your conception, Jason, and uh, pull the fire alarm in whatever Applebee's that was occurring <laughs> in and, and just nip that in the bud right there. I love that you think that I was conceived when Applebee's was, was in existence. That, that makes me much younger than I actually am. <laughs> 
right. Well, what? So I, I was thinking about this, and I think the only responsible thing that you can do, because I do acknowledge your point, kind of on on the butterfly effect and the unintended consequences, while at the same time acknowledging my position on uh, degrees of uncertainty and creating uh, a higher degree of likelihood for a possible outcome. That's why I've settled on this like basic window of a year. Right. I think that the most responsible thing you can do is go back in time one single year, a, a relatively small uh, stretch of time, and impact what you can with the knowledge one year in advance. If you try to go back any further, I think the downstream effects can be too magnified in terms of possible problematic side effects. So I think the ability to go back in time one year and solve problems in, in the near term is the most responsible thing you can do. So that's what I... I'm not going to go back to some amaz amazing historical divergence point. Like, I'm not going to stop the Kennedy assassination. I'm not going to kick Hitler's mom in the womb. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'm just going to go back one year and impart the knowledge I have 365 days ahead of time. Wow, that's an interesting one. I'm trying to think... I'm trying to come up with examples of problems that gestate for more than a year and, like... Imagine from an ethical standpoint, just saying, well, that's past the 12 month period, so we can't fix that one. Like mm -hmm. that's, that's, well, even if it's just sports betting, I'll just, I'll just deal right. with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, the, the time period aspect of that is really intriguing. But again, we go back to who's making those decisions. And, oh, I'm, I'm benevolent, Jason. I'm not worried about that. My, every decision <laughs> I make will be the right decision. Yes, of course. But you're also not intelligent enough to have come up with the time. Time travel technology in the first place. No, so. I, I just haven't shared it with you. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a topic that's been of interest to me for a very long time, primarily from a physics standpoint. In this idea that you know, trying to understand the nature of general relativity versus quantum and the incompatibility of the two and the implications of all of that. But from a science fiction standpoint, man, if you're a sci-fi fan, you just can't get away from the concept of time travel. See, for me. Any show that's run its course, I know that it's dead when it gets to its inevitable time travel episode. <laughs> there's the musical episode and the time travel episode. Right. Yeah. Also, I think your skepticism on time travel and, and your opposition to it is just based off the fact that you understand that I have been sent from the future to destroy <laughs> you, Jason. <laughs> you're right. And to your point, I mean, you're you're exactly right. I mean, Happy Days went off the air when they started doing time travel. You know, uh, All in the Family time travel episode was the end of that series. Uh, Cheers. Like all these great series when they got to the all time of travel. those shows you just listed at time travel. Are you serious? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. I, I was bought in, man. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll say this, Jason. The uh, the gravity of your stupidity is such that I feel like time has slowed down, and this has gone on for way too long. So I think uh, it's time to end this episode. No, that's fine. the The amount of energy that uh, is required to keep answering your questions is vast and incomparable, and I, I can't draw it anymore. Well, so. We could we could use that energy to move a small amount of mass to the speed of light and effectively travel through time. So think about it that way, Jason. Right, right. <laughs> All right. Uh, until next week.